Welcome to Awaken Life Radio, a podcast about being a spiritual being, having a human experience in a world gone mad. Each week, we will discuss how you can heal yourself, cultivate your intuitive superpowers, and be a sacred vessel for planetary healing. I am your host, Narayani Gaya. In today's episode, I speak with the world-renowned relationship expert and best-selling author, John Gray. In pure transparency, I felt really vulnerable in this interview. I felt uncomfortable talking about sex so publicly because I really rarely ever do that. But because I was speaking with John Gray and he granted me the opportunity to speak with him on Awaken Life Radio, I wanted to make the most out of it and of course respect him and his time. And so I just went with it. That said, I want you to know that there are some opinions in here that are not necessarily all my opinions. Um, And the reason that I say that is because I want you to decide for yourself what it is that is true for you and what it is that you will leave behind. Our conversation went on for about two and a half hours. And so I divided this episode into two different sections and decided to release it on Valentine's Day week so that you can be inspired to lean into your existing relationship or to manifest a loving spiritual awake relationship. So enjoy part one and I can't wait to hear what you think. Hello everybody, Narayani Guy here with Awaken Life Radio and I am, I'm like flustered a little bit just to talk with um, John Gray, beloved uh, teacher, everybody knows Men are from Mars, women are from Venus, and presently John has all kinds of new things that he's up to, and we'll be getting into that during today's interview. But first, I just want to say, hey, John, welcome. Hi. Hi. So nice to be with you again. And Thank you. Radiating a lot of light, and I'm happy to share with you. Oh, thank you. It's a good day, you know? I mean, not every day feels like love and light. Some days feel like words I can't say on radio that I keep for private conversations. Um, and so I, I'm grateful that you have the um, emotional intelligence to be able to navigate through all this stuff with me. I'm just going to read a little bit, John, for people who don't know you, which I don't know who doesn't know you, but I'm just going to give a little bit of your bio. John Gray is the author of the most well-known and trusted relationship book of all time. Men are from Mars, women are from Venus. USA Today listed his book as one of the top 10 most influential books of the last quarter century. Dr. Gray's books are translated in approximately 45 languages and in more than 100 countries and continues to be a bestseller. Um, Dr. Gray has written over 20 books. His most recent book, Beyond Mars and Venus, his Mars and Venus book series has forever changed the way men and women view their relationships. Um, 
you know, in addition to being a relationship coach, John, um, I know that you have a deep spiritual background. And I happen to know that because my astrologer used to hang out with Maharishi Mahashiyogi. And he told me a little story that you were part of that Sangha. And I think it's really um, helpful for today's spiritual seekers to start to track and kind of understand um, the awakening of consciousness and the development of consciousness and how that affects us emotionally. And in, as we were just talking in that, you know, integration um, path of being grounded, awake people. And on Awaken Life Radio, you know, we really want to support people that are called to step into spiritual service, to really feel equipped, to feel held, to feel seen, to feel mentored, um, to feel connected, to do so. So I'd love to get in today with you um, a little bit on the edge of what you usually talk about, but also touch on the Mars and Venus um, elements and energies and talk about consciousness. And I literally heard you say this morning on your Thursday, 10 a.m. to 12 noon, um, Facebook lives that you do talking about <clears throat> how the consciousness of the planet was different, you know, 25 years ago and how that affected the needs of children and that our needs are changing. And I think that maybe a really, um, might be a good angle to go into to start with is, you know, what, what is it that, um, that you've seen in your experience around the changing consciousness. There's a lot of talk these days, ascension, ascension, 5D, 6D. And I, I think half of the people saying that with all due respect to those who do, a lot of people don't even know what they're talking about. So we need teachers like you and elders who are grounded in spiritual study and practice to really kind of break down some of those concepts. Can you speak about your journey of consciousness in service um, and and maybe a little about how you just start with a little bit of your story of how you transition into becoming, you know, you were in this spiritual community and there's monks and ascetics and then studying meditation, coming into relationship, um, being a relationship, the main relationship expert um, and go-to person at this time. Wow. That's a wonderful <laughs> sort of great question and, and story of my life. Uh, thank you for the acknowledgement. Yes. Uh, I do have and. You know, I'm almost 70 years old and I've been doing this very consciously since I was 19 and became the youngest teacher of transcendental meditation. Okay. I uh, became Marishi's personal assistant. I lived with him for nine years. And for those of you who don't know who Marishi is, he was the guy back in the 70s. You know, it was he, you know, Yogananda also brought, uh, Vivekananda came to America, brought some of the ideas of meditation. Then Yogananda came and then Marishi came and Marishi took it to a whole nother level of, uh, we were teaching in schools, you know, until the Christians got upset about it, you know, because <laughs> a little competition here. And, but he was a, he, his, he had the wisdom of saying, this is not a religion. This is just a technique that was used in this religion, but you don't have to, you can have your own religion with it and, and do this technique and it will uh, lower your stress. Basically, he said, you have less headaches and you'll sleep better. <laughs> and, and then a little bit further into the teaching, you begin to experience a development of your human potential. You know, that was the, you know, back in the, the, the 60s, it was really, what is our human potential? And uh, ironically, and th this is about the shift in consciousness that didn't happen just in the 90s. I, I can tell you all the shifts that I've witnessed because in my own life, now maybe there were so many other shifts before and I'm ignorant of them. But what I know is there was something called the traditional male-female relationship. And mm -hmm. 
something happened. Men were men, women were women. And when I was in high school, I got kicked out of high school for wear, for not cutting my hair and wearing bell-bottom pants. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, what man wears bell-bottom pants? And women could not wear uh, slacks to school. You'd be kicked out if you had jeans. Okay, wow. so you, you had to wear a dress. And guys had to have short hair. So why was I wanting to wear short hair? I mean, long hair. Because mm-hmm. my female side was now free. Some shift. See, consciousness shifted on our planet, I'd say, after World War II. And mm-hmm. part of that was there was just so much blood. Uh, that's just something, it's just death. You know, we just, when you go to some extreme, you want to go back the other direction. And right. it, it oh, yeah. was uh, just a huge loss. And, and I just want to, just to be factual here, yeah, some Americans died and they honored their deaths. Uh, 50, million, 50 million Russian soldiers died. Mm. They won the war. We didn't win that war. We all think we did. I mean, although Russians, there's a government I don't approve of at all, but I'm very grateful to the Russian people I teach in Russia. I'm very much aware mm-hmm. of how, how war really hurt their culture. We lucked out. We didn't lose all the men. They all came home and had sex with their wives. And now we have this generation that's now 70 years old and dying of COVID because mm-hmm. we're also vulnerable. <laughs> so, but you know, this is a huge, this is a big population surge because the soldiers came home and had sex. So many came home. In Russia, that didn't happen. And mm. so they have a different whole relationship culture. The free world, what happens is now we shifted to, we are the free world. And that means we're free. And that lifted everything. Women were free to be independent, to vote, to lead their wives. And men were, were free from the burden of having to support women. Okay, so, and also free from the burden of being men. Men had a burden and women had a burden, without a doubt. It worked when it worked and it didn't work when it didn't work for both parties. Because mm. see, for me, when the 60s came, I wanted to grow up my hair, it's hippie. I wanted to get high. Uh, I wanted to uh, wear bell-bottom pants. I cared about fashion. And I demonstrated against war. I demonstrated against Vietnam. I refused mm. to go. All of that, I'd vote for peace as opposed right. to the more traditional men at that time were, hey, we're proud to sign up for the war. We're going to go and kill people mm-hmm. because they're bad. Okay, so this is the, the, the limited thinking is that men were killers, you know, and, and women were cheering us on, you know, the big parades when we came back alive and all the sex and everything that happened as a result making babies. So mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a relationship. The world had a, a level of functionality and dysfunction, but as soon as we shift to a higher level of consciousness, everything which is old-fashioned is extremely dysfunctional. So it's dysfunctional for women to be limited to, quote, traditional female roles and for men to be these, you know, guys who are expendable, guys who go into war, guys who do the dirty, dangerous, difficult jobs, you know, give it to the men. We have to bear the brunt of everything. So on both sides, you know, and when men didn't get paid, and this is always the problem, it's never men are the problem or women are the problem and get a political just for a moment, because there's this whole idea of male patriarchy and everything. It's not male patriarchy. It's a system of, of government. When kings and queens have the power, both men and women, men don't get paid for what they do. They have no ownership in what they do. In communism, they have no ownership in what they do. So there's no motivation for men to do better. It's just it's a, when a man is not rewarded for what he does fairly, his mm-hmm. testosterone goes down. This is biology. Mm-hmm. What happens when men's testosterone goes down, their estrogen goes up and they become angry, irritable, grumpy, they're control freaks, they're lazy, they're passive, mm-hmm. they're dominating. All the worst qualities of men come out when they're feminized. Yeah, I saw it in my own family. My mom is yeah. a very radical, I grew up with a very radical, active feminist, you know, very strong shoulder pads in the 80s, all of it. And I saw what happened with their- Take a moment to share what happened. 
please. Okay. So, I mean, for me, like reflecting on it in my early 20s when I started waking up and learning meditation and then went to my first, you know, sweat lodge and all that, which was right when Mars Venus came out, actually, which is interesting. I started realizing, you know, which happens in your early 20s, what um, kind of what your own thoughts are and what were your parents' thoughts and what's you and, you know, start to kind of find, at least in this culture in the last 50 years, but my mom was a very active feminist and she really prioritized fighting for equality, right? For women. And the, the values that were bestowed upon me were, you know, there hasn't been equality for women. You need to work hard. You have to prove yourself. And yeah. I mean, and my soul agreed that at a young age, I even had a memory about a year and a half ago of being two years old when I was trying to prove to my brother, who was testosterone yes, yes. infused brother, that I could be as strong as him and, and, and people who have come to know him and Aries and people come to know me over the years, especially being an East coaster who lives on the West coast. I live in Santa Cruz. So I'm not too far from you, <laughs> but you know, it's like, Whoa, you're like, Whoa, girl, you got something to say and you're expressing, you're a bake up all this space. And it's been like, Oh man, that's not how I feel in my heart. Like what's going on here? You know? So a uh, leadership work and all the development work has helped me to be able to, let go and open and then having kundalini awakening years later and having experiences that have helped me to integrate, you know, my spiritual identity that's beyond. And then my, being so a beautiful. woman. Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. a journey and I'm very it close to journey, both, you it, know, with my parents now and we talk about it, which is a gift. You know, this is a, uh, a different audience I'm used to talking to. We're going to talk a little bit of a spiritual little woo woo. And yeah. that would be, <laughs> My understanding of this, first of all, very practically speaking, a, a shift in consciousness occurred after World War II. Mm -hmm. It liberated women to be more independent. And part of that was very practical in that the men were gone and women were in the factories. Women mm -hmm. built the tanks. Women took over the jobs. And on a very practical level, I think practicality goes along with spiritual shifts. I mean, nothing is disconnected. There was this That's change right. happening anyway. Mm -hmm. But what men realized is that women were great workers and we can make money off of them. And again, that's the men at the top, okay? And also at the very top of the government, we realized that two things. One is that women, uh, basically, if we have more women working, we get more tax money. That's the first thing. Two, if we have more women working, we have uh, women are sold out to the system and they can't demonstrate. Because, you know, it was the women who were the force that, you know, caused all the prohibitions and everything. Women... If you're not bought, if not bought out to the system, you can object to the system. You can be the squeaky wheel and say, this Got is it. not working. So we want everybody sold out to the system that we can control everything. And governments love the control. So there's a lot of reasons why on a practical level for some people, why they wanted women to have freedom to be independent. But on a spiritual level, this was a spiritual transformation of the awakening inside of us as a civilization. We got to the place. This is very practical. Uh, we got to the place where on your own, if you're a woman, you can provide for your own survival and security. You weren't dependent on men. And men could basically feel that I don't depend on a woman for sex. I can get in anywhere I want. I can go to restaurants. I can earn money. I can have it all. Why do I need a woman? Mm -hmm. So there was, uh, there was no longer this need of uh, within our felt, a felt need, like you're hungry, you know, women couldn't vote, couldn't do these things. So they really needed a man. So if you got a good guy, like my dad, who had a good job was well paid. So he was an angry guy. And he didn't really do the things I teach to be in a good relationship. But he was he was, 
kind, you know, he's a good father. And he was also the enforcer, you know, at the kids, seven boys, six boys in my family, my mother would say, if you don't listen to me, I'll tell your father. That was about it. That, oh, okay, we'll listen to you. You know, he was the enforcer, you know, that was sort of the male role. He's a good enforcer. Otherwise he was like somewhat, it was a gentleman in many ways. Mm -hmm. He wasn't romantic or passionate or whatever. I'm sure they, they, after the kids were born, they stopped having sex. They were very happy, good friends. They got along. They had to go out to do life. Okay. So that's one that's a situation which occurred quite commonly if a man had a job that made enough money. When men don't have a job that makes enough money, they can't be their best self, which brings out the worst self in a woman. So let's just look at that whole side of it. Mm -hmm. So the patriarchy isn't it. It's basically kings and queens and communist dictators and so forth that take away men's, men's ability to earn more if they work harder. That's it. Mm -hmm. And so we always have to remember that's the importance of freedom to be able to free to do less and get less and the free to do more and get more. If everybody gets more, wouldn't that be nice? No, nobody would be motivated to do more. Mm -hmm. And that's what brings out the best. I want more success. I want more people to read my books. I want to have more abundance in my life. I want more freedom in my life. We are the American culture that has inspired the world with a sense of freedom. These guys mm -hmm. who wrote the Declaration of Independence that we're all equal in our pursuit of happiness, that was personal development. This was a budding consciousness of freedom. No longer are you, because you're the king, deserve more than me. You have to work for it, and I have to work for it. So it's really sweet. So this freedom goes along with, once Maslow talked about this in 1930 or 40, he said that when your basic needs, your need for food and shelter and security and safety, when those needs, when you can provide them yourself, now you suddenly have new needs that are more important. And those new needs have to do with personal achievement and intimacy, love mm. and success, right. love and money. Those are the two big things. That's what everything comes down to is love and money. I want to be able to achieve more, work for it, and I want to have love. And the part of us that wants to achieve more, do more, accomplish more, that stimulates male hormones. And the part of us that wants love and connection and harmony and peace and love, that stimulates female hormones. And as mm -hmm. human beings, we all have a need for the right balance of male and female hormones. And you're an Aries and you're a woman. So definitely what I would say is many past lives, you have mastered being a man. And your big lesson in this life, as you described to me, is I have to learn how to soften and become more value, love more and soften the whole thing mm -hmm. and realize this is love is just as important. So it's mm -hmm. finding that balance. Mm -hmm. And my so, spiritual uh, journeys really helped me with that. If I didn't learn how to meditate and pray and relax and open up and, you know, totally helpful. But I want to touch on one. Do you mind if I jump in on one, oh, one other in, piece? Jump in. This is a fun okay. conversation. Okay. Yay. Okay. So it, it, this is an interesting thing. Um, the feminist conversation. The I want to talk a little about the feminist and the white entitled man. And because I heard you mention something about that last week or the week before. Last week I Facebook. talked about the privileged man. Yes. And I was like, oh, this is some good stuff. Like you talked about like, you know, the feminists. And I, I've been meeting opening up my circle, you know, meeting different kinds of women and these strong feminist women like this. And I live in, you know, I hang out with hippies and healers pretty much. I live in the Bay Area, you know. So, but I love opening up because I feel like everyone's my family. I've always kind of felt like that. Anyway, so this piece, I think what you're talking about is, I don't know, three, four, five, six, a couple of layers deep under the story of entitlement and patriarchy. And I feel like it's, I want to slow it down a little because I want to 
emphasize, I, I get it. And I want our listeners to get this. I want them to see what's running the show. I know one thing about your work is that I love that's a teaching that I, I, we could keep diving into is understanding the natural biological hormonal dynamics. And I feel like that understanding from my mentor many years ago has helped me to see the unique gifts of masculine and feminine. And she always referred me to you, read, before you go on that date, read Mars and Venus on a date. Remember the book she said to me, I just recently went on a date. She's like, read that book. I was like, even better. I'm going to interview John. She's like, okay, great. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I did watch the little video cliff notes on it. I I think I still failed the test. Anyway, we're not going to go there right now. But uh, there's this piece about, about working and achieving that, there's, it's like a fine line, right? Like that, in, it's, so what is what you're saying is that, or can I assume that the white entitlement phenomena where men, you know, uh, think that they could have whatever they want, does that come from that um, imbalance between men and women that has been cultivated since the forties? Is that Okay, well, that, that's such. I I know I was talking a few weeks ago about something very dicey. I don't know that this is the same thing, but it springs from that. Yeah, uh, you know. But it's it's when you talk about just white entitlement or male male privileged entitlement, uh, what you're looking at is women who don't feel appreciated like men in the workplace. Because, like you said, your mother had to work hard. Was it you even? You you have to really yeah. compete and work harder because men do not see you as as competent. Okay. Well, so you do have that's on a subtle level. I mean, these days men are scared of me because I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying what we, we talked about that on, a, is on that an you, unconscious level. Yeah. You mentioned that, you know, and that I hear from women all the time, you know, no, I have to prove myself. I have to work twice as hard as a man to be recognized and whatever. Well, we men always feel that way. Just to point it out, I have mm-hmm. to work twice as hard as another guy to get to the higher level. Okay. So, and yet it is harder for women to get ahead in the work world in the past. It's not now, because they're way ahead. This is misinformation, it's partial truth. Women who are uneducated make less than uneducated men. Okay, that's true. But women who are educated under 35 without children make more per dollar per hour of work than men doing Mm. the same job. I pay the women more than the men. They do more, they're more effective, they're more solution oriented, they don't get tired, they just get overwhelmed and stressed, but they do the job. Right. and men today actually are not nearly like men used to be. They're all whiny and complaining. They want to be overappreciated. You know, why are you doing what I say? Because I'm the boss and I make the, you don't feel appreciated. You know, so I see men whiny, complaining more. This is some men and this is some women. Okay. So I'm not talking about everybody, but I'm saying what we see now, which was not usually the case. I get it. No, I get it. And I get the piece where women, it's like, we can do it all. We do do it all over deliver, try to prove, finish it. I can do it and then burn out and. And a lot of that is you think you have to do so much to get the recognition that you deserve. I just right. gave a whole talk on Mars, Venus in the workplace. And we did a survey of 100,000 participants in our workshops of men and women in companies. Mm. And we said, women, do you feel appreciated by men? This is one of the ones that stood out the most. And women, a high proportion of women said they don't feel appreciated. They asked the men, do you appreciate, in the study, just the studies, do you appreciate the women in the workplace? And huge number, 90% said, yes, I appreciate the women, but the women didn't feel appreciated. And so therefore you work harder than maybe you have to. I'm not saying that there's situations where it aren't bad, 
but there's this general feeling. If you don't understand men, you end up feeling unappreciated when you are appreciated. And let me give mm -hmm. you this. Actually, this is a key thing in the development of the whole body of knowledge of men are from Mars. It was the trigger. I, my assistant now is Helena, but my one before was Helen. I tend to bring in the deity <laughs> Helen in my life. Uh, I see. <laughs> and mm -hmm. so she comes to me. All right. Mm -hmm. So, so I have uh, Helen. And Helen worked for me at that point for about three or six years. I can't remember the details. Then she said to me, John, uh, I feel like it's time for me to move on. And I said, well, why? Because we had a great relationship. I appreciated her totally because I'm this therapist, eight hours a day listening to women making the money. She organizes all of that. She also pays all my bills. She also organizes my assistance teams for my seminars. She also handles the hotels for the seminars. She handles all the money that comes in from the seminars. She's in charge of my bank. I don't even know what I make. I just know I can pay her and I can pay my bills and she pays them. I'm in heaven, right? I get to do what I'm really good at. That's called the ideal partnership in, on Mars. Mm -hmm. I do what I do well. You do what you do well. I don't tell you what to do. I don't judge you for what you do. I don't have any complaints about what you do. I, I pay you well. And so I paid her well. So I said to her, is it, she said, it's time for me to move on. And I said, well, help me understand that better, which is what men need to learn that phrase whenever a woman is not happy. Uh, you say, help me understand that better. Mm -hmm. And so I said, well, help me understand that better. And she said, I just don't feel appreciated. And I said, Helen, you know, I just gave you a raise. Did I not pay you enough? Because that's what makes a man feel appreciated if he's on his male side is I got the reward. Now I can go home and give it to my wife and children. And I'm grateful. So, but she, on the other hand, she said, I didn't feel appreciated. And so what I said, and inside, of course, I totally appreciate this woman, right? I just told you why I appreciate her so much. Yeah, I believe I you. don't have to know what she does. So I said, why don't you feel appreciated? And she said, she says, because you don't even know what I do. <laughs> and that's why I appreciate her so much. Right. So, so then what happened is I said, well, give me a couple of weeks to find out what you do and let's see what happens. So all I did is spend five or 10 minutes every day checking in. What are you going to do today? What are you going to do today? And then I remembered what she was going to do. So Monday, she told me she was going to be talked to somebody who was giving her some trouble, not paying the bill. On Tuesday, I would show a little consideration and say, how did it go with so-and-so? Did they pay the bill? Or were you able to get that hotel? Or what's the progress on that? I started asking questions, which if I had a boss, I'd be annoyed by. Why are you in my business? She wanted me to know what she did. So I started asking and I started using a little of my emotional intelligence, which adds to the benefit of saying things like that must be so frustrating. What did he say then? And oh my gosh, I'd be so disappointed if that happened to me. Oh, and so, so what are your concerns about this? You know, they didn't say they'd get back to you. Bring a little feeling into it, validate feelings that might be there. Within two weeks, I said, do you still want to go? She's no, no, I feel like you really appreciate me. You know what I'm doing. And she stayed for another 10 years. <laughs> now, Helena, Helena has been with me for 10 years. She only changed because she got a much better job in a different location and all, you know, things happen. But we're still really good friends. Uh, it's awesome. amazing just taking that little extra time to demonstrate in a way that in her language would have said that I value and appreciate her. This is so, good. This is something that I want men to note and also women to note, because I was going to ask you a little bit about men, because a lot of the teachings and what I do, I work with 95% women is helping women not try to change men and ask for their needs. And I feel like I have a really good handle on that. And I was, I was curious, okay, where are we going with or how, where do you go with men and how do you train men? So that's cool. That Keep going. Yeah, please. So a lot of that, I don't want to spend our whole wonderful spiritual time together, but in the workplace, 
so much misinterpretation where women feel they have to work harder than they really have to. Same thing in marriage. Every woman, when they're unhappy in marriage, they say, I give and give. I work, I work, I work. I give and give and I don't get back. And I say, you're doing the wrong thing. Stop giving so much. Stop doing so much. You'll see you'll get more support. When you give a man more than what he's giving you, you're training him to give less. When you pick up that box when a man could do it, or maybe you asked him to do it and he forgot to do it, so you look at him with the evil eye and carry it yourself, you're training him. He goes, okay, I didn't have to carry the bag. You know, <laughs> it's just like so much. So a lot of this is our confusion about it. And also it's women learning, understand men in the workplace, men in the workplace. It was harder for women without a doubt, but with better communication skills on either side, it could be much easier and it can be today. But even today, what, what I see is women burning out making more money than men because they do if they're 35 and under and they're single they've gone they've gone to college this is the ones i'm talking about mm -hmm. two women to one man graduates from college today women are taking over they're taking over the world they have way more power than men do in the younger generation if they're not married and there's always evil at the top that's the corruption it's not men it's not men's privilege and by the way, what my friend who's very controversial says, he's, he laughs when he says, male privilege, are you kidding? If you've got blonde hair and blue eyes, that's called real privilege. <laughs> Just take that in for a moment. And I let some people burn in that one, but it's reality. If you've got blue eyes and blonde hair and a biological celebrity body that you'd have to do anything about, and that's the way it is, that's the privilege in this world. Women don't realize they're privileged. Now think about this as well. Imagine you go back in time, we have stereotypical roles for men and women. Let's imagine how they came about. Let's have some wise person come together and say, hey, you know, women make babies, so God loves them more. So men, you need to worship the female, which men used to do. Now let's divide up duties. Women, what are the things you like to do and you don't want to do? List them all out. Now men, that's your job. That's dirty, that's dangerous, that's difficult. That's hard. That's gonna, you're gonna die earlier because of it. And men said, I'm happy to do it because I love God and I love women who are embodiments of God. There's some mysterious being who can make babies. What glorious difference is that? And that's how it was set up. Mm. Men have always done the dirty, dangerous, difficult. Mm -hmm. and, and you expect that of us and we're taken for granted. Prior mm -hmm. to this new world, women didn't take it for granted. Father knew best. Yeah. Father was a hero. Men rode horses and they saved women's lives and families' lives. They fought battles to protect their families. And nobody said they were sexist. And why aren't women on those statues? Because women don't need the statues. Mm -hmm. Women were smart enough to know that if you put statues up for men, they'll keep going to war and die for you. They'll keep doing the dirty, dangerous, and difficult for you. So you get to do what you want. And I'm not saying poor men here. I'm not mm -hmm. whining for men. No. I'm saying men wanted to do those things. Men have this nobleness inside of them that comes forth when women need us, when women depend on us, when mm -hmm. women appreciate us, when mm -hmm. women see us as great beings. Mm -hmm. And then it all went away and after the war. Why? In the 60s, 50s, it's freedom. Women went to their male side. They didn't need men anymore. So that's a great thing because now you're free as women to be both masculine and feminine. If you look at all the pictures of the gods, if you like the Eastern ideas, they're all having sex. They're standing there, man and boom, they're embraced. Now, mm -hmm. they, all, they really were having sex. That's also part of it. <laughs> but I'm the most spiritual person I know particularly. That's my bias because I know myself. I've traveled the world. I can know every famous guru and there's not one that I would emulate and want to be like. Mm. I want to be like me. 
Good. I don't see myself as superior to them. I just seeing myself as the one I want to be like, them, be like, and I don't see them as above me or below me. I don't see anybody above or below. We're all human beings. We're here on this planet to, to grow and to learn. Mm-hmm. However, <laughs> those high beings, the ones that I haven't met that I would emulate, by the way, they have regular sex. I have great sex. I have orgasmic sex. I have hours of sex. I have sex with a woman and it's like having sex with God. I know what those guys are doing when you see the male and the, the female sitting on the giant's lap. He's holding her in his arms and she's looking at him adoring that I am protected. I'm held. I am adored. And he's loving her and willing to do everything. That's reality. That's what, who we are if we develop our spirituality mm-hmm. along with integrating into our reality in our physical bodies, which is what sex can be, the most ecstatic experience of sexual divine union that there mm-hmm. is. And I, I know what divine union is. I was a monk celibate for nine years. I loved that time of my life. You know, people say, oh, can you be happy with that? You talk about great sex, John, like that's so great. It is. It's the greatest thing. But also my life, having this interview is the greatest. And I will say my sexual experience, along with someone I love deeply, is, is uh, ecstatic, more ecstatic. There's no mm-hmm. question about that. Because you're mm-hmm. literally bringing the divine into your body. And for a man, there's a difference here between men and women. When a man ejaculates, he loses life force. If he ejaculates into a woman that loves him, at least a lot of that comes back to him, as long as he doesn't do it too much. That's now, right. I'm at a place now where I maintain my youthfulness and my energy because I never ejaculate. That's because I develop my male energy along with my female energy. Mm-hmm. When men have weak male energy, but they have a lot of love, okay? Men are way more loving. Even angry men are more, more loving because they're more in touch with their feelings, except they become more dysfunctional. This is what's happened. You get all these sensitive guys who, who, who basically say, I don't want to have war. And then they beat their wives. It's happening today. It's crazy. They get mad. Or even if they just yell and close their hearts, where's this coming from? It's coming from biologically measure it when a man is angry, his estrogen is surging and his testosterone is going down. Mm-hmm. It's masculinity. Mm-hmm. And of course, for me, where it all comes from, I'm just so grateful to my time and learning to meditate and be a monk. Because as a monk, I never masturbated. As a teenager, I had lots of sex and would masturbate, you know, like every teenage kid who's lucky. I was lucky. And, but then I, the Beatles said, you can get high. After Woodstock, I was crashed, okay? I just went down. I got high, so high. It was amazing. I love- Were you love at Woodstock? I was at the Texas Woodstock. The Texas, okay. After Woodstock. I'm a and devotee so, of Swami Satchidananda who is at Woodstock, Woodstock, so- I love those, those Woodstock yeah, it was stories. A, I, I've been to Woodstock. I went to another one, but that one, it was yeah. a big mud thing. It got publicity because there was so much mud and disaster. The universe, in, in Texas, we had the same Woodstock, but it wasn't a disaster, so you didn't hear about it. So anyway, after Woodstock, <laughs> which is that time, I then was high for three days. I crashed big time. Mm. And I just felt I lost my way home. I lost my, who, where am I? What am I doing in this mm. world? And there's that song called, can't find my way home. <laughs> it was a really great song. It just went around. And I had a hippie room, you know, I had black lights, I had strobe lights, I had posters everywhere. It was my own little garage apartment. And I also had a picture of the Beatles and they were sitting with Maharishi. And, and my mother just was, saw me in my room one day, came in and she goes, oh, what is that picture? Uh, the Beatles. I said, that's a Beatles, you know? And she said, oh, who's that with them? Now, what I didn't know is that my mother had been a meditator her whole life, okay? And my mother ended up, after we grew up as kids, 
uh, went to school, she opened her own esoteric bookstore. It was the biggest esoteric bookstore in the country, bigger than that big one in LA. And she never advertised. She just had such a library of esoteric books that she lended it out and then people wanted to buy them. So this is the family I grew up in. My dad in Houston, Texas, and they're both Stanford graduates, but they're very far out parents. Since I was three years old, my dad had us all doing yoga. Okay. And there's all these esoteric books on the Kabbalah in my dad's bedroom. And he's a Christian. This is like an amazing background I have. So I just grew up in all that, but I wasn't into meditation or anything. But then it just so happened I, I was into karate. I was a, like, I was in front of magazines. I was the karate kid, the karate kid back in those days. I was in magazines because I was really into, I was real little. So that made me like special that this little kid could know all this karate and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so somebody told me it was a samurai demonstration. And I said, oh, I want to see it. And I went to it. It was a seminar on transcendental meditation. And this was five days after my mother saw this picture of Maharishi in my room. This was a talk on Maharishi's meditation. Mm-hmm. And I went into that place and some hippie looking guy with beautiful Jesus like hair. It was golden hair and a big red beard. It wasn't the teacher. The teacher was a very straight guy. <laughs> it's uh-huh. like this guy who was like a teenager, a little bit older than me. He said, oh, yeah, I do meditation. I went, really? What is it like? He said, oh, you get all these powers. I said, how long have you been meditating? He said, two months. He says, <laughs> I said, well, what happened? He said, oh, yeah, I can see through walls. I can fly through the universe. I can, I, you know, I have amazing powers. I can read minds. But that's not important, you know. <laughs> I'm getting enlightened. You know, and that was sort of the TM thing. The powers weren't important. You want to get enlightened. Well, that's, that's, an old Vedic, telling, that's an old Vedic teaching. Yeah, that's yeah. a, yeah. So, so that's how he was spinning it. He, he had all those powers, but he wasn't using them because he was so enlightened. Right. No, 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 I don't really want those, but I'm just going to talk about them all day. That's right, right. that's right. So anyway, I heard that lecture. It was two hours the whole evening. I came home late. My dad thought I was out taking drugs. I said, no, I went to this lecture on meditation. He, he laughed. He says, yeah, what did you hear? I gave the exact talk word for word. And I didn't have that good of a memory. I, that was written in my heart. That was destiny. I believe in destiny so much. I could still give that talk. It was there. It was, I just gave, my dad was so impressed. He said, wow, not only were you there and you're telling the truth, but you know the whole talk. And it's a pretty cool talk you gave, the TM talk. And because it was, my soul was ready for that. You yeah. know, and there's something from the Bible which says, you know, when your heart is open, the word of God is written in your heart already. Mm-hmm. It's already there. So I've had several moments of my destiny, which this is just, there's places where you cross and there's a decision to be made, yep. a time of change. And it feels like your hand, your, your hair on, stands on end and That's you know, right. this is right. That's right. So that happened. So there you were. Time. So then you got, so then you found your guru at that time and and then I you became, became his became, personal assistant became and you were gave. a monk for nine years and then- You're celibate celibate monk all the details and we got and then what happened how did you okay so my how brother did you become was john gray mars mars and venus john gray okay big change first of all i was quite a celebrity in the tm movement my picture was in all the all the tm centers because they did brain science on me and they showed me and then they showed my my brain of coherence i was a really dedicated uh, to be Marshy's assistant takes a lot of persistence. You got to win him over and get through all the more important people and get in there. I have a whole. Did you hang out with Deepak? That. Was Deepak there at that time? No, he came right after I left. After, okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. And uh, but anyway, so yeah, nine years of being with him. My last conversation with him, he, I said, "What's my future like? You know, here with the TM movement. You know, what do you think?" And uh, mm-hmm. 
because my dad was thinking about investing a few million dollars into helping him buy his university. And so I wanted to say, well, you know, my dad gets involved with this and pays for this. What, what would you, uh, what's, what's my future like? And he said to me, my last conversation, he says, in a few years, you'll own this movement. And because he had put me in charge of every department in his whole area. Everybody resented me. Why I get to be number one here? I'd run it. And, but he was having me experience everything because mm -hmm. I was his, I was his boy, you know, first also they called him the, the, is it the door boy is that if you wanted to see him, you talk to me, you know, mm -hmm. when he come in a room, I'd be carrying his little seat, his deer skin. I'd put it down. Everybody stand up. And to many people, I was an object of admiration or envy. <laughs> it wasn't that important, but we had a beautiful relationship mm -hmm. and I wanted to be just like him. And I could, I could say everything he said. And after about eight years, I could say everything he said, but I could also disagree with him. I went, well, he'd say this, but actually I think this. So I was already starting to outgrow him with total love and devotion, but I started seeing that I had better ideas than him, or different ideas. I felt I could explain it better. And around that time, my brother Jimmy, who was bipolar, meditation didn't help. And it was something happened as this enlightenment came to me. My experience with oneness with everything and he called it God consciousness, okay, where everything's divine. You're in a sort of ecstatic, unpractical, ungrounded state where you're one with the divine. <laughs> All women to me were divine beings. Everything was God. Everything was perfect. I was just so, but my brother was suffering. And I think that that's my compassion basically said, it's time for me to go. And so I left this world where I was totally supported. Everybody admired me. I had all these opportunities but my brother was suffering. I came to California thinking I could learn psychology and maybe that would help him because TM didn't do it. Mm -hmm. And so it helped a little, but he was still bipolar and suffering. He eventually shot himself. He killed himself. He had a very sad life, I'm but sorry. in trying to help him and trying to help him, it's tragic. he led me, it was a destiny moment mm -hmm. to go away. And interesting, it was, I saw so clearly what holds people back in having gurus is Marshy was quite the amazing guy on stage, just like I'm quite the amazing guy here. You know, I'm radiant, I'm happy and whatever. But I also reveal in all my hours, you hear me talking on Facebook, this issue happens for me and this issue and still mm -hmm. I did this. I just yeah. lost 16,000 on this. And, you know, I'm not perfect. I just have a lot of wisdom without a doubt, but I'm not perfect. And I reveal myself. I'm very transparent. Most gurus are not transparent. Maybe if you are learning That's to right. be that way. They need, be, they need to be the ones who are the, the conduits to God, which is so old paradigm, which isn't So really old paradigm. That's but right. people That's can't right. connect. I mean, I know that because when I became a teacher in 2002 and had Kundalini Awakening and then got my name and I was teaching like, you are divine and we are consciousness and all this and yes. that. But people were starting over years. They were just like, but they wanted to connect and, and feel me. And then uh, I had a big shift when I moved to Santa Cruz. There's such an awake field. And people were like, we're all creating, we were trying to create retreats and stuff at that time. And in about 2011, 12, and, and I, I had people call me out and it was a gift, you know, I was like, oh, and they're like, we want to know what you feel. I'm like, oh, okay. And so it started you know, really becoming more transparent. And now with my, and I'm not as transparent with you. I don't talk about my sex life publicly, not yet. Anyway, we'll see if that ever happens. But I, with my clients, they get everything with the circles, you know, with the people well, I work with. And, and groups. Let they me hear. admire you. Let me admire you for a moment and acknowledge you because that has always been the role of gurus mm. and the way, the paradigm and also mm. therapists. And I'm a perfect person. Mm. As opposed to, I didn't know any other therapists who did this and they would get mad at me because they heard I would do it which is I would tell stories about my own life to make a point. 
Right. And you're not supposed to reveal anything about yourself. And that's the whole one thing. It's like, you're always this perfect person. You have no problems. You never reveal anything. And, and to be realistic, I don't reveal problems that I'm looking to my client to fix right. me. You okay? don't ask them to I hold space for you. Vulnerability and right. what I learn and what I grow. Right. And that revealing that I wasn't just born this enlightened saint. Okay. Right. Marish stood up on stage and just was radiant and beaming like he is. And he had mm -hmm. a public life, even in more intimate circles, we all sit around, develop pamphlets and market and promote. He was still very jubilant and happy, but in his private life, he had, he had, uh, ex he had blacklists. I never want to see that person again. They're an evil person. They're no good. He was paranoid. He had me follow people, say they're going to do this, and they didn't. So one of my best friends from childhood, he said, was a CIA agent, you know, sabotaging us. He just made up. So what happens is when you have this enlightenment is all your good qualities get bigger and all your bad qualities get bigger. And unless you have this sense of accountability that I'm not a perfect person, even though I'm one with perfection, that's challenging. So you don't want to reveal that. Also, you're afraid your students might think less of you and not put you on a pedestal if you reveal that you're not perfect. Right. But and I, and had the, mm -hmm. I had the grace. This is the one point Sorry. I want to make the grace to love this man, to see his greatness and also see he wasn't a perfect person. Therefore, I could take back the projection. When you fall in love with a guru, you project onto them your higher self, your God self, you're projecting onto them. And so you find yourself by resonating with them. But if they don't reveal, they only reveal a partial truth, there's always a part of you feeling like I'm never going to be my God self because I still have this human self. If the teacher reveals the human side along with their God side or their good side, however you want to look at it, then the student goes, oh, I don't have to wait to be perfect before I can accept my enlightenment. I can embrace myself as I am, love myself as I am, and now grow through accountability and learning the wisdom of changing my ways. Mm -hmm. And you know, a lot of the Hindu background doesn't include the psychological wisdom of accountability right. or processing emotions. Right. And what happens when we don't process emotions? In my experience as a healing practitioner, that's where a lot of my work is like the mother wound with women. It, it's actually, I've experienced it because we track, we, we track energetically where we look under what is the energy under the emotion to try to, you know, dismantle and decode it through presence. It's kind of like a somatic, it's my own thing. I'm writing a book on it anyway. I want to send you my book, but um, it's okay. this, okay. Yeah. It's this like, it's like this tar sometimes that I've gotten guidance on is related to cancer in the body. And mm. if it's not um, seen, held, acknowledged, honored, listened to, voiced, even it doesn't have to be primal screaming out where you like don't sleep for four days in an S train or anything, but you know, being in the, even the subtle awareness of it, there's a dismantling. Let me emphasize your wisdom. It disease. is being in the subtle awareness of it that is maximally healing. Thank you. At a time in the 70s, I think it was helpful when Est was big, Primal Scream was big. Just to, if you scream it out and yell it, you can kind of go, oh, there is something in there. But you didn't heal it. You just became aware there's something Thank in you. there. And true healing is when you melt into it with love and you go into it, not get it out. You bring love into it as opposed to throwing it out of you. But sometimes, and I think that was the 70s and 60s and 70s, is let's they still just throw do it. it all out. They still out. do it. Those, those things are still happening, by the way. I, well, I know one. people still do it, but I see them. Part of how I shifted, when I, I came back, I became the psychologist. I studied psychology to help my brother. Mm -hmm. Then mainly I got a degree in sex because <laughs> I was so interested in sex, not having sex for nine After being years. celibate for nine years yes. and cultivating <laughs> your prana. <laughs> Which was, you know, what I know is it, I've never yet met a real monk, okay? I've been around people. You can smell, if it's a man, 
a real monk because I was a real monk. And when I perspire, semen smell comes out. That's wow. if semen is truly in your body, you smell semen. Otherwise, they're at least masturbating with themselves. It's very common, or they're also having sex with girls. But the loss of ejaculation is loss of your spiritual juice. And not that you have to, everybody has to be celibate, whatever, because sex is also integrating consciousness, high consciousness, into the lower part of your brain, which controls sex. So when you can do that, who knows how long I'll live. And of course, the ancient Taoists, and I've studied Taoism sex for 10 years in China. Mm -hmm. Taoism sex says that you can live for hundreds of years if you don't lose your semen. Mm -hmm. Okay, But the, to, to not lose your semen and have sex, it's not just to not... I think you could do it as a monk. Like in my 20s, I did it, but I kept having longer and longer meditations to conserve that energy. On average, in the last three years of being with Maharishi, was more in meditation retreat and teaching mm -hmm. his classes to high-level meditators. And I did have interaction with him, and everybody was jealous of that. But my meditations were 10 to 18 hours a day mm -hmm. and only eating a bowl of food and sleeping on the floor. What, what I've guess. learned, you see, is... is power in men comes from discipline and control. Mm -hmm. So giving and, up, it's being mm -hmm. like ascetic. As you be ascetic, you find your inner bliss that way. So you don't feel like you're giving up as long as you don't indulge. As soon as you indulge, you feel like now you have to give it up. But once you learn to find the inner bliss, you're not giving up anything. I hope you guys enjoyed this first part of my interview with John Gray. I sure did. The next part will be released on Valentine's Day 2021. And if you're listening in what I call the future now, you can listen to it straight away. If you love this episode, and I sure hope that you did, you can follow me on iTunes or on my website, narayanigaya.com forward slash podcasts. And I'd also like to invite you to check out the Embodied Awakening training that I now have available for home study. And you can find the link to the home study course in the comments below. Look forward to hearing your response to this episode. Do let me know what you think. And make sure to follow up for part two with John Gray on Sex, Love, and Awakening here on Awaken Life Radio. Thank you so much. Namaste.